And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to the Monday edition of The Real Investment Show as we kick off this uh, post-Super Bowl week, I guess, week. Everybody's recovering Thank from uh, yesterday's snack-a-palooza. <laughs> uh, very interesting. There's, a, there's a, uh, a survey out this morning talking, asking people, why don't you eat healthier, right? And so interestingly enough, the number of people that say they do eat healthy is actually on the decline. Now, this doesn't include yesterday's snack-a-palooza, like I said, so this is, this is different. Here's what was interesting. So here's the survey questions, right? Why don't you eat healthier? Number one most rising answer was, I'm a picky eater. I don't like healthy food. <laughs> no kidding. Nobody likes healthy food. <laughs> uh, of course, too much time to eat healthy. Mm -hmm. It takes too much time yeah. and work to eat healthy. That, yeah. was, that was in there as well. It's a lot of work. It is. It is. And the, the other, but the, the, the <laughs> one of the better answers was simply is like, um, I, I, I just like to eat what I like to eat. So, you know. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, you know, it's like, okay, we need to all be adults here and eat some vegetables every now and then. And guess what? You don't get sick, you don't get COVID, you don't go to the hospital, you know, you don't get all these things, right? Eat healthy, take care of yourself, build a better immune system. Surprising what that'll do. Um, but yeah, I like that. It's like, I'm a picky eater. I don't like to eat healthy food. <laughs> so trust me, yesterday's stack of palooza, not healthy. Yeah, but yeah. There you go. You get a pass. I did. I did uh, win the Super Bowl bet uh, yesterday. You did. Yes. Yes. My wife and I. My wife was in uh, the kitchen cooking before yeah. the game. Yeah. She says I'm rooting for the Bengals, and I was like, okay, I'll tell. I'll, I'll take L.A. Right. Yeah. I didn't really have a horse in the game, so it didn't really no. matter. But I said I'll take L.A. And I go, what are we betting? And she goes, whoever loses cooks dinner all week. Because generally we switch off. Because she works late, I work late, yeah. so we we switch off. She in town this week? Yes, except for Tuesday. So she's in she's in town. Yeah. So the so anyway, <laughs> nail biter ending. L.A. wins. I'm making my menu. <laughs> healthy food. Oh no 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 healthy food this week. It's gonna be <laughs> cracked crab and lobster. I'm gonna, oh. I'm gonna make her work for it. No, oh yeah. Seriously. And don't forget by the way, today is Valentine's Day. Yes it is. So do not forget to go by. I know that Danny I was listening to the show on Friday. Danny doesn't celebrate Valentine's Day, but for the rest of you men. <laughs> Like me. Um, it's too late. It, it, too, too late to start that tradition in your house today. It was too late today. Saturday. <laughs> but uh, swing by your favorite Kroger store. They always have a great selection of flowers and things out in the parking lot generally mm -hmm. this time of day. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, don't forget. At least get a card. Save yourself the doghouse for a week or so. Don't forget today is Valentine's Day. Otherwise, you'll be cooking dinner for a week. <laughs> exactly. You'll be cooking dinner. And I'm sure somehow I'm going to wind up cooking dinner this week. But you <laughs> Tuesday know. anyway. And so here was my wife's answer. This morning. I said, so I said, I got up this morning. I said, so, honey, I'll be making my menu out. She goes, they only won by three. I go, that doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't change the outcome. They only won by three? <laughs> they only won by three. Sorry. Doesn't change the fact. Right. All right. Speaking of outcomes, today's show brought to you by Jan Brady. Russia, Russia, Russia. Well, we can't do we can't do James Bond anymore from Russia with Love because there's no more James Bond. He he died in the last movie. Yeah. So 
Can't do that anymore. So Jay Brady this morning, Russia, Russia, Russia. Uh, weighing on markets Friday. Now, the interesting thing was, of course, on Friday sell-off, we saw a lot of flows into U.S. Treasuries. Not surprising. That's the rotation to safety we've been talking about here for a while. Uh, big reversal in yields on Friday. It also pushed the yield curve down sharply. Uh, we're now only about 40 basis points from an inversion of the yield curve uh, as well. So, again, lots of stuff here kind of weighing in. Um, interestingly enough, though, there's, you know, when you take a look at what's happening with Russia, look, Russia does not want to invade the Ukraine. What Russia wants is they don't want, they don't want the Ukraine to be part of NATO. Ukraine needs to be allies with the EU because once the EU became, you know, unified, the Ukraine lost their trading partner with Russia. They need the EU as part of their trading partner structure so that they can transact business, right? So this makes complete sense. Now, the other side of this, of course, is that NATO really is not ever going to probably allow the Ukraine into being a NATO member, right? So that's, you know, this really isn't that big of a deal. And all Biden really needs to do is just say, look, we're not going to let, you know, the Ukraine become part of NATO. That's really all this is about, ultimately, because Russia does not want NATO basically sitting on their border. And that's, that's why they want to keep the, the Ukraine very neutral. And there's really not much of a, of, of a risk that this is going to happen anyway. So this is really a, a fairly simple negotiation to get this done. Uh, so a lot of saber rattling here right now. Zelensky over the weekend saying, hey, come over here, uh, talking to Joe Biden. Hey, come over here to the Ukraine. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this. You know, people in the Ukraine are just kind of going about their normal business. <laughs> so it's, it's, you know, not nearly as heady of an event as headlines are saying right now. But more importantly, look, this is going to pass. It is going to get resolved. Nobody's going to go to war over this. And what will happen here ultimately is that markets are going to probably retest their January lows. That was going to happen anyway. Again, as we've talked about before, technical signals tell you a lot about what's going on. Markets gotten very oversold back in January. And we said, look, you're going to get a reflex rally probably somewhere back to the 50-day moving average. That's exactly what happened. Retested the 50-day moving average twice failed to do that. And of course, that set up the retest potential at that point for those lows. However, for that retest of lows, you need a catalyst. And surprise, here you go. Russia headlines is that catalyst. So again, this is really kind of a, a function that markets are already predicting that something was going to trigger a bit of selling. Everything was already set up for the sell-off. All you needed was something to trigger it. It's headlines. Again, these headlines are going to come and go. And what's important here is to make sure that you don't allow headline you know information to detract you from your investment strategy in your portfolio this is you know this is why it's important to keep emotions out of it and it's very easy to get all kind of wound up with the headlines oh my gosh russia 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 hey i get it right inflation uh interest rates fed there's plenty of headlines out there right now that could certainly push this market lower right and and but at the same time we have had record inflows we've had 156 billion dollars of equity inflows globally just since the beginning of January. It's the largest pace on record. We've got $1.3 trillion worth of global equity liquidity coming into markets over the last year. So this wiggle in the markets here has not really deterred equity investors of putting money to work. That's still happening at a record pace. So again, while headlines are sitting there, you know, telling you, it's like, oh my gosh, the world's about to go to war over the Ukraine, that's probably not going to happen. It's really not in anybody's best interest. Yes, a lot of saber rattling at this moment, a lot of positioning, but this is going to get worked out. 
and when it gets worked out, there'll be relief, and this will probably happen in the, the, either this week or next week. They'll come to some resolution, and markets will start to, to reverse their structure. This is just simply the way things work. In fact, if you go back in history, a lot of these events happen all the time. We've had you know, outbreaks with Russia before, with Saudi Arabia, with other places. And again, these, these geopolitical events, they do put pressure on markets short term, but these are very short-term events. Generally within you know, 20, 30, 45 days, somewhere around there, these things get resolved. Markets reverse and start to go back higher. So again, don't let too much of this information weigh on what you're doing with your portfolio because that leads to those emotional mistakes that we talk about. Yes, is there risk to the markets? Absolutely. Probably not Russia. That's not the real risk here to the markets. It's still really about inflation. It's still about the Fed and how fast they're gonna hike. But again, that's all getting priced into the market as well. So a lot of that downside risk has already gotten alleviated out of the markets here. Now we do have some long-term valuation risk. We have some long-term fundamental risk that we still have to work through. That's a different story. And that's something that we'll deal with later. But when we come back from the break, we'll talk about some of these other events and more right here on The Real Investment Show. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Your retirement is another year closer. Will your exit from the fast lane be a smooth one? RIA advisors can prepare you against the dangers and risks that could cause your retirement to skid in our next free retirement right lane class. Saturday, February 26th at the Embassy Suites Houston. Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff will bust mainstream financial advice. Explain how you can make the most of Social Security and Medicare and how to lower taxes in retirement. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm Rose Lance Roberts. Uh, so, yeah, talking a little bit about this uh, Russia, Russia, Russia thing. Um, again, you know, the point, important point is, look, is, is there, you know, is there risk there? Yes, no doubt about that. But, uh, again, when you kind of step back and take a look at kind of the, the, the entirety of the structure, the reality is this is nobody's in, in really nobody's best interest at this point for Russia to invade the Ukraine or for us to get involved into a geopolitical war at this point. So this is this will get, and my point here is, is look, there's lots of intricacies as to what's going on. Um, you know, Russia doesn't want Ukraine into Donbass. Um, you know, nobody, Russia doesn't want Ukraine as part of NATO. Ukraine needs the EU, all this stuff we just talked about. There's, there's lots of intricacies here, right? And I'm not trying to downplay any of that, but what I am trying to downplay a bit is making sure that you don't allow short-term emotions to impact your financial decisions because those have consequences. And some of these things we just have to kind of work through. And yes, there's going to be volatility. Markets going to be down today. But that's not really surprising. Uh, as we've talked about here, this recent rally that we had off the January lows was a reflexive rally. And we talked about, you know, selling into that rally, you know, adding some hedges, those type of things. And that's things that we did. 
And, you know, a retest of the January lows is certainly well within accordance of how normal corrections go, right? You have a correctional process. It kind of bounces. You retest lows. Now, if we set new lows, that's going to bring up some different dynamics. And we'll have to adjust our strategy at that point based on whatever event that is. But most likely uh, when it comes to, to Russia, you know, you're going to have, you know, this will will pass, right? A, a resolution will be reached that everybody agrees to. Some sanctions will be removed, or some agreement um, with the with Ukraine and Russia will be put into place, and and everybody will go home, right? Because that's that's all this that's all that everybody wants, right? It's just like with the whole uh, convoy thing we've got going on around the world now, right? From New Zealand to France to Canada, we've got these freedom convoys protesting the mandates, and look. They just want mandates lifted. So you start lifting mandates, which is already in the process anyway. A lot of countries are already starting to lift mandates and, and reduce restrictions. And ironically enough, a lot of those previous conspiracy theories that were out there about mask and COVID and all that, all of a sudden are becoming fact-checked by mainstream media. It's like, oh, yeah, uh, you know, masks uh, can help, but they may also not help. <laughs> so, you know. These are now becoming fact-based, you know, by mainstream media. It's like, oh, okay, so the stuff those uh, conspiracy nuts were saying to start with actually were true. Yeah, well, you know, that was always a function of time. But that's how we get to these things eventually. We have to work through the process. And what's important is, is that we don't allow them to deter, you know, our strategy or change our strategy dramatically. And again, I'm getting a lot of emails here lately about, I just want to be all in gold, right? That's fine. Gold worked really well on Friday, right, because of this whole Russia thing. But what happens when the Russia thing is over? And see, and, that's, and, and if you're on the wrong side of the trade when this occurs, you know, that could hurt your financial performance and your financial longevity by being on the wrong side of the trade when these things change. And so, you know, this is why, you know, trying to, to predict what markets are going to do is very dangerous. I have no idea what markets are going to do between now and next week, much less now and tomorrow, right? We can make some educated guesses, but, and we can look at historical statistics and we can look at technical signals, which certainly right now are on a sell signal and do suggest lower prices. But betting heavily on that can cost you money because things don't always work out exactly the way we guess. In fact, if you take a look historically, Dalbar does a uh, Dalbar Research does a study once a year and they put it out. And one of the interesting things that they analyze is the what they call the investor guess right ratio. And this is the ratio of the guesses that investors make as to being right or wrong either guessing the market's going to go up or go down. And the majority of the time, the vast majority of the time, investors guess wrong. They're convinced the market's going to go down and the market goes up. They're convinced the market's going to go up and the market goes down. So this is why it's important not to guess at things and make outsized bets on potential outcomes. And, and because, again, there's a, there's a high probability because of the way markets work that you'll probably be wrong. You know, and you know, we often equate things back to, for instance, poker, where you go sit at a poker table and you bet all in every hand, and you may get lucky and win the first four, five, six hands, right? It's possible. But the problem with betting all in every hand is that once you lose, you're kind of done with the game. 
And so this is why it's important to, you know, not allow your emotions to overtake a good, sound discipline. All this other stuff, uh, you know, what happened, the markets are going to price this stuff in. And, and they'll price this stuff in very quickly. Whatever happens in Russia, the market will price it in. And they'll price it in very quickly. They will adjust for that risk very quickly. Because remember, the market is an organism. It's a living organism. It's not just a static thing. It's a living organism of millions of minds all making bets in one direction or the other, all at the same time. And the market's adjusting for all these bets that are being made every single nanosecond of every trading day. So this massive network, this neural network of individuals and, and computers and algorithms and all this stuff that, that are making these bets in the markets are adjusting for these risks real time. So by the time that you think you've got this figured out, ha, I know what's going to happen. The market's already adjusted for it. And then the market starts adjusting for whatever's next. And they're already adjusting for the resolution of this outcome. And so markets start rallying. You're like, well, I'm short the market. Why is the market rallying? Because we have this whole rush deal. That's because the market's already kind of figured this out. So that's why it's important. You know, set these headlines aside. Look, if you're into the geopolitical, economic, political headlines, great. Enjoy it, right? But don't let it affect your investment portfolio because those are two very different things. The market's going to figure this out pretty quickly. And so... Pay attention to what the market's telling you versus what you think you know. And this is the hard part because sometimes we just have to respond to what the market's selling and doing rather than what we think it should be doing. It's like, well, why is the market going up or why is the market going down? I don't understand because the market's pricing in something. And it's just telling you that whatever you think is going on is wrong. So just something to consider. Right. It's just something to consider. Look, and, and don't get me wrong. Look, there's there's a ton of things, as I said, you know, just for the break, there's a ton of things here that says this market should and could and will eventually go a lot lower. It's probably not Russia, though. I mean, it could be, but it's probably not Russia. It's probably not the Fed. Right. Generally, what causes a major mean reverting event is not a geopolitical outcome. Right. It's a credit related event. It's a credit related outcome. Now, the Fed could certainly be the trigger for that credit related outcome. The Fed starts hiking rates. And as the rates start going up, that impacts some credit market environment that is highly leveraged or or, you know, weak. And all of a sudden something breaks credit wise and that causes uh, counterparty risk within the financial system. And all of a sudden, the credit market breaks. And then that's what causes a big major correction in the markets. Capital stops flowing. That's the big risk. Russia won't be that. The Fed won't be that. The Fed could be a trigger of it. But that's not going to be the catalyst that changes the bullish psychology. And as I said, look, you've got $159 billion worth of liquidity coming into global equities just since January. It's a massive amount of money. Where it's all coming from, I really have no idea. But it's a massive amount of flows that are going into equities, and that's providing a bid under equities at this point. 
So until that begins to change, until you change that bullish psychology, you're not going to have that big major 50% sell-off in the markets. Now, will it eventually happen? Yes. Just don't know when. Could be this year, could be next year, year after next, 50 years from now. It'll eventually happen, but you don't know when. And so, you know, the problem with trying to bet too far in advance of it, and this is something we wrote an article on recently talking about, you know, trying to get ahead of a crash can be as bad as being in the crash. So if you miss a major run-up in the market by being all in cash, you've done as much damage to your portfolio financially as losing 50% of the value of your portfolio during a decline. So this is why it's always important to navigate the markets. Understand what the markets are telling you. You've got to be, you know, you've got to be in the river, right? But you don't have to go over the waterfall. <laughs> there's you know, there's you just have to navigate the risk that are there. And the market's very much like a river, right? I mean, it it ebbs and flows and and goes, and you just need to be part of the flow, but just realize what those risks are and understand when it's the right time to exit, not guess. So, and these these are things, right? And there's 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 a lot more that we're going to be dealing with. Uh, you know, this um, Durham investigation over the Russia collusion, right? This is about to come to another big head, right? That's going to be another headline risk for markets. Won't have anything to do with the stock market, but it'll be a headline risk that's everywhere. Got the election coming up, midterms. What does that mean? Changing of the guard in the House and the Senate. What does that mean for the markets? What does that mean for money? Lots of headline risk out there. The important thing is, is no matter what you think about those headlines, it's not going to have as much of an impact on the markets as you think. So it's important just to separate the two and allow your investment strategy, your discipline, allow that to work. The headline stuff is great to talk about. It's entertaining. It's educational. But it may not have anything to do with your portfolio. And so it's important to keep those two very separated. Be right back after the break. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. Your retirement is another year closer. Will your exit from the fast lane be a smooth one? RIA advisors can prepare you against the dangers and risks that could cause your retirement to skid in our next free Retirement Right Lane class, Saturday, February 26th at the Embassy Suites Houston. Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff will bust mainstream financial advice. Explain how you can make the most of Social Security and Medicare, and how to lower taxes in retirement. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to this morning's edition of The Real Investment Show. It's, of course, Monday. Always trying to get Monday off to a good start here. Trying to be a little bit optimistic. <laughs> Headlines, though, certainly, as we've been talking about this morning, everywhere. 
But, you know, uh, again, just, you know, trying to keep this. I think the trucker convoy is, is one of the more interesting things. I think so, too. You know, these, yeah. these truckers are, you know, around the around the country blocking bridges. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, too, because they're doing it very peacefully. This mm-hmm. is the way protests should be, you know, not torching buildings and burning down cities and that type of stuff. They're just parking their trucks, being a nuisance, right? <laughs> being in, That's causing inconvenience for a purpose for a purpose and this is the way you should protest and they're doing this the right way but it's very interesting you know pushback because again you know we 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 depend on truckers so heavily right now in particular the the trucker shortage is a major problem in the u.s and and really around the world and this has been part of the inflation surge has been this we know we we call it a broken supply chain. The the supply chain wasn't broken. It was shut down. That's different, right? And and this is and this is an important distinction because we go well the supply chain's broken. No, the supply chain's not broken, right? We didn't, you know. You could say the supply chain was broken had there been a major war outbreak and you know major production centers of the world have been bombed into oblivion, much like World War II. In World War II, that's exactly what happened. Major production centers of the world, major manufacturing centers of the world were completely bombed out. And this is why the U.S. was so strong in the 40s and 50s and 60s is because we were the manufacturing epicenter of really of the entire world at that point. We were rebuilding not only the U.S., right, you know, just, you know, getting people back to work and, and you know, building homes and having babies and all those type of things and creating this baby boom. And, but at the same time, we were rebuilding Japan and Germany and Europe and everywhere else that had been under this devastating war of World War II. That was a broken supply chain. And yeah, you had, not surprisingly, you had surging inflation because you had surging economic growth here in the U.S. You had rising interest rates because economic growth was growing at 8 and 9%, and you had um, you know, savings rates running 8 9 10%. So yeah, you had surging economic growth, surging inflation, and then you had an additional spike of that inflation because of the oil embargo, which... This is where Paul Volcker became active in terms of the Fed, and I argue that that was probably the beginning of the end. If we would have just left things alone, yeah, inflation would have eventually taken care of itself as the oil embargo was finished. Prices would have come down naturally. Economy would have slowed down naturally, and we did. We had two recessions there for a while. But it was a determined need that we needed to fix that problem, and this is where the Fed became hyperactive in the markets trying to determine that they could actually control inflation. And what's become evident over the last 40 years is not only can they not control inflation, they are the, they are the seed and cause of every boom and bust since then. But we keep trying the same thing and figuring out that we can not do it. But <laughs> we keep trying the same thing over and over again, definition of insanity, but that's where we are. But it's interesting because, you know, again, we don't have a broken supply chain. We didn't change the supply of output. What we did is we shut down economies so we quit producing. That's different. We had a disrupted supply chain. 
Now, supply chain's coming back online. Inventories are building. And, you know, here we, here we are now kind of in panic mode to try to raise rates and, and you know, get things back to, to going. And, you know, we need to get these truckers back to work and get them going again because they're an integral part of that supply chain. They've got to move the goods from ports to warehouses, then from warehouses to you. And we've got to get them back to work. And the longer that they're protesting globally, the longer that we're going to have a disrupted supply chain. Inventories are going to continue to build. And eventually, as demand begins to fall, a lot of this will begin to resolve itself and not necessarily in a great way. But this is where we'll get disinflation later this year. But in the short term, we could certainly see higher rates of inflation or here over the next couple of months. It's, it's certainly a, a question of where... In April, we will start to compare year-over-year inflation rates to a higher rate. So the rate of growth on a year-over-year basis will start to decline. doesn't mean prices actually go down. It just means that the rate of inflation on a year-over-year change will begin to recede. Now, as we get further into the year this year, those rates go higher and higher. So it will be harder and harder to maintain the current pace of inflation. Again, does not mean that the price of gas at the pump goes goes down at all. Doesn't mean the price of used cars goes down. Doesn't mean that the price of houses goes down, although it will. When the Fed starts hiking rates, housing prices will come down. So, but it's just a function that inflation will begin to deflate later this year because of the mathematical Component. We have an article about this this morning on our website talking about the Fed's next Minsky moment, which is going to be the boundary where they cross that critical line to where hiking rates impacts the economy. And it's just a function of where that is. Is it, you know, half a percent, one percent, one point five percent, two five percent? Where is it? We don't know. It's there somewhere, but at some point... You will, get, you will get to a level where higher rates will impact economic growth and things will begin to slow down rather sharply. And, and the yield curve is already telling you this now. Yield curve is already telling you that economic growth is going to slow down. Uh, economists, analysts are finally starting to ratchet down their economic estimates, something we said would happen last year. And that's really kind of the point of today's article is that in March of 20 March April of 2021 we were talking about the sugar rush and this was right after Joe Biden um, had passed that 1.9 trillion dollar stimulus package sent the last round of $1400 checks to everybody and we said well you know that's going to be the demarcation point because once all this liquidity runs through the market that sugar rush of activity is going to fade because there's no more liquidity federal expenditures are now declining rather sharply Economic growth estimates are coming down sharply, and what we'll see here over the course of the next couple of quarters is economic growth will start to slow back towards that trend growth line of about 2%. So it just takes time, though, for this to work through the economy, right? You, when you slam the economy full of cash, it takes about nine months for that to show up in the economic data. That's what happened. So in about another nine months, starting last year, so probably about mid-year this year, we'll start to see that reversal 
in the in the data as that liquidity comes out of the system because there's no more coming and now you're going to hike rates on top of it which is going to even slow the economy even further and it's just, so it's just a function of math right it's a, it's a function of supply you know there's a there's a, an often quoted line by Milton Friedman I'll spit that out Milton Friedman and it's often quoted because he says Inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. And that's where the, the quote stops. But you have to listen to the rest of what he says. Because what he says is, is that inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. It's not unions causing inflation. It's not consumers causing inflation. It's not greedy corporations causing inflation. It's government spending. The government can print money. This is his words. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing but quoting. The government has a printer in their basement, and they can print money, which is what they do. And when they print money, that causes the demand to exceed the current supply. And that causes inflation. This is why you can't print money in your basement. Corporations can't print money in their basement. Unions can't print money in their basement. They don't cause inflation. They're the victim of inflation caused by government printing. See, you have to listen. You can't just read Milton Friedman's one sentence and say, oh, great. Inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. Ah! You've got to listen to the rest of it. This is all about government printing, and we saw it firsthand in 2020 and 2021. We just saw this massive surge of liquidity come into the markets. It created inflation because all of a sudden you gave people money to spend in excess of what we could produce, which is exactly what Milton Friedman says would happen. Now that's going to reverse. So this inflation concern is going to go away as supply comes up and demand declines because of lack of liquidity. It's just math. Inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon, and we are currently not injecting trillions of dollars into the economy. In fact, we're reversing it. Be right back after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Your retirement is another year closer. Will your exit from the fast lane be a smooth one? RIA advisors can prepare you against the dangers and risks that could cause your retirement to skid in our next free retirement right lane class. Saturday, February 26th at the Embassy Suites Houston. Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff will bust mainstream financial advice. Explain how you can make the most of Social Security and Medicare and how to lower taxes in retirement. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. 
I don't know what's so great about living in Switzerland, although the sign is their flag is a big plus. I'm kind of neutral about that. <laughs> I love this. Uh, every morning, Brent puts up little snippets on my notes page and says, if two vegans have a fight, is it still called a beef? Controlling your dead jokes, are you? It's just <laughs> humor you can get your teeth into. Gotcha. So anyway, yes, um, uh, getting ready to wrap up today. So a couple of things. One, earnings season is now starting to wind down. We've only got a few kind of minor reports today. Uh, Advanced Auto Parts is reporting this afternoon. You know, that's one of the things that's always interesting. I like watching companies like uh, Advanced Auto Parts and AutoZone. <clears throat> because they tell you a lot about consumers. When you see economic weakness, right, there's certain companies that tend to do better. And AutoZone and, and Advanced Auto Parts are a couple of those companies because people start fixing their own stuff <laughs> when, when things get weak. You know, people stop uh, paying for landscapers, they start buying lawnmowers uh, and doing it themselves. So there's a few things that you can kind of watch as early indicators as to, you know, economic weakness and these type of things. So, uh, you know, I like companies that represent the do-it-yourself because that's the change that people will make. Well, you know, instead of me running down to the, you know, Jiffy Lube to change my oil, I'll do it myself, right? Save the money. And that tells you a little bit about kind of what consumer sentiment is and and last week we saw consumer sentiment took another big hit and this is because of inflation inflation's the big concern right now for individuals and again you know don't and i want to be really clear about when we're talking about inflation i I was saying earlier you know we're going to see deflation by later this year that doesn't mean let me be clear that does not mean that prices are going down prices for you will remain the same They could even go up and you could still have disinflation in terms of our inflation numbers, the way we measure it, because we measure it on a year-over-year basis. And as last year's inflation numbers get, so let me put it this way. In January of this year, we printed 7.5% inflation. To print 7.5% inflation again in January of next year, we will have to have 15% inflation in January of next year because we measure it on a year-over-year basis. Now, if you think the Fed is going to allow inflation to run that hot, you're crazy. They'll be aggressively hiking rates, and that's not going to happen, by the way, but that's my point. We measure this stuff on a year basis. So, so it doesn't mean that gas at the pump can't stay at $4 a gallon or even go to $4.25 a gallon and still see the rate of inflation decline later this year because the numbers we're going to compare to are going to start to go up. And we've talked about this math before, and I know that's uh, and, and that's a little hard to wrap your head around because you're going, I don't understand because, you know, if stuff's going up, at the if the gas is going to the pump, food's going up, that's inflation. Yeah, it is. And if I go from $1 to $2 a gallon in gasoline, that's 100% inflation. If I go from $2 to $3 a gallon, it's not 100% inflation anymore. If I go from $3 to $4, it's 25% inflation. 
So it's about the rate of change. And that's what will decline over the course of this year. So now that's what the markets are going to look at. And when the Fed starts seeing this rate of inflation decline, they're going to go, woo, we've whipped inflation. <coughs> Excuse me. Doesn't mean, though, <laughs> and this is, this is always the interesting story, and this has been the story for two decades now, that nobody believes the inflation number. Because they're going, well, everything else in my life is going up, and yet inflation's running less than 2%. Have you gone to the grocery store lately? This is always the pushback. You know, when was the last time our, our government went to the grocery store and brought groceries? They obviously don't understand what's happening in my household. They don't understand what's happening with health care and housing costs and rent. You're right. But this is because we changed how we calculate inflation. Back in the 90s, Bill Clinton took $2 trillion out of Social Security to balance the budget. And we had a balanced budget for about 37 seconds before we went back into a deficit. And we replaced those that money in Social Security with IOUs. Well, in order to keep Social Security payments from going up, which are tied to what? Inflation. He hired the Boston Commission to come in and to recalibrate how we calculate inflation. So, so immediately we reduced inflation by like 500 million, like right off the bat, by doing these adjustments. And we added all these things called hedonic adjustments, which says that if you buy a computer, that you get more computing power at cheaper prices. So that's actually deflationary, even though you paid more for it. One time there was a Fed official talking and he says, well, look, the cost of iPads have gotten cheaper over the course of the last year. And immediately, one news reporter came back and said, yeah, but you can't eat an iPad. Because he was talking about food prices were going up, inflation. And this is the differential between what we talk about inflation, what we see in inflation versus what we live as inflation. And that's a very different story. And, and look, as investors... As individuals, we have to compensate for what we live with, not what the Fed lives with or for what we see, what the Fed sees. The Fed is going to talk about hiking rates until they see inflation starting to come down. That They're going to start to back off of that because they're going to, hey, we whipped inflation. You're still going to have to live with higher prices. And we've got to adjust for that. That's cost of living increases. That's cost of more withdrawals from your portfolio. That's, you know, uh, a higher impact. Now, again, when you're looking at inflation-adjusted rates of return, those are going to improve as the year-over-year -year change in CPI declines, right? But your cost of living potentially is not going to change at all. Social Security adjustments are going to go down, even though the cost of living remains high. And this is going to be one of the bigger problems that a lot of boomers are going to deal with. You know, it's interesting when you take a look at some of the recent employment numbers, talks about the great resignation. All these baby boomers are finally retiring and they're getting out of the workforce. Good riddance to them, right? Opens up new jobs for millennials. Problem is, is they're not really going back to work either yet. We're seeing them improve. We're seeing labor force participation rates improve a bit, but still lower than we were pre-pandemic. 
but there's a lot of talk about finally these baby boomers are all retiring in mass yeah for about a minute because <laughs> they've got all this extra money to spend that we sent them that's now ending and retirees are now doing what going back to work why are they going back to work why don't they retire because they can't 80% of Americans have less than $500 in the bank. They can't meet a $1,000 emergency. If they have any type of real emergency, you have to put it on credit cards. Uh, the average American has less than one year. So you've seen all the surveys, right? We go through these on the, on the show all the time with you, right? It, it, the, the saving structure of the vast majority of Americans is dismal, which is why there's such a demand for wealth equality. Why so many pushing back against the uber-wealthy? It's not the top 1% you need to worry about. It's the top one-tenth of 1%. You see a lot of these charts about oh, the top 1% has so much money. Top 1% doesn't have that much money. The top 99.99% the top of Americans, right, those just below the top 0.01%, which are your CEO, you know, that's Jeff Bezos and Warren Buffett and those guys, that 99.99% level, they have about 10 million in the bank, 10, 12, 15 million in the bank. I mean, they got money, right? Don't get me wrong. They're they're up there. But their wealth gap is not tremendously huge. Now, once you as soon as you cross that barrier, though, under the top one tenth of one percent, skyrocket. That's where all the money is. Billions upon billions of dollars. And that's capitalism. Right? They've taken over they've started companies they've gone public they've made you know we talk about these all the time right uber lyft airbnb we invest in these companies right and then we then we complain about the fact that we that they're all billionaires jack dorsey <laughs> you know can't have your cake and eat it too <laughs> you know that's capitalism at work it's capitalism's not a, not not an easy thing right it's got it's got ugly wrinkles to it but capitalism works, builds a lot of wealth in America. But when we talk, when we talk about this inflation number, just I just want you to understand is that there's a huge difference between the inflation we live with and the inflation we live with is going to force a lot of these people back into the labor force to go to work to make ends meet because they're not going to be able to do it off of living on Social Security. So... A lot of this change that we saw post-pandemic where we saw, you know, finally, you know, retirees are all retiring. That's all going to shift backwards. And we're going to see a lot of those retirees going back to work. You're going to see them at your local Walmart. You're going to see them at Target. You're going to see them at Costco. By the way, I went to Costco on Sunday with my wife. Packed. Crazy packed. Super Bowl. Right? Everybody getting ready. But... That's why we own Costco stock. Just packed. <laughs> Every time that stock dips, I'm going to buy more of it. Uh, anyway, wraps up the show for today. Thanks for joining us. Get by our website. Uh, latest article is out right now uh, talking about the Fed's next Minsky moment. It's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. While you're there, send your questions, comments, emails. Let us know what we can do to help you out. Be sure and get our three minutes on markets and money. So much more. It's all there on the website. Lots of stuff to help you out every day. Realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow. Have a great day.